Welcome to the Pre-PT Grind Podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to thank you for choosing to invest time and knowledge into yourself as a pre-PT and future physical therapist. This episode has been sponsored by our new Acceptance Navigator series, which is a free four-part video pre-PT series where we teach you exactly how to dominate as an applicant by learning the new way to PT school acceptance. Learn how to finally get into the driver's seat as a pre-PT and not leave your acceptance to chance by shooting in the dark and hoping for the best as an applicant. This series is the most value we have ever given away and it's free at www.acceptancenavigator.com. That's www.acceptancenavigator.com. Don't miss out on your chance to get in the driver's seat of your acceptance. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast episode. What's up, guys? This is Casey back with another podcast, and I'm here with Dr. Mason West joining us on the Pre-PT Grind podcast. We are so happy to have you, my man, and we're just going to hear your story and go from there and flow to bring Pre-PT's value just to show where you came from and kind of like where they can go in their careers and what they can look forward to as well, because at this time of the recording, um, is coronavirus is still going on and some people might be like man dang does it look that great in the job outlook for anything much less PT but in the in the job outlook for anything man I don't should I still do this I'm, I'm a pre-PT in the midst of PT cast right now writing my essay I don't know so we're gonna have Mason uh, drop some fire today uh, but man thanks for joining us how you doing pretty good how about yourself good man good can't complain so um let's start from the beginning what is your I guess like why why did you choose PT what's your kind of pre-PT story of why you chose it and um your journey from there yeah so actually um I started wanting to be an orthopedic surgeon uh and I went into neuroscience at first actually at Trinity College up in Connecticut small liberal arts school um and I just found that over time you know I was actually really really lucky I got to do uh this whole class where basically for a whole semester I got to shadow an orthopedic surgeon uh, and I was there for five six hours a day a couple other classes and, and go from there uh, what I ended up finding was that it was super boring um, you go in you know see some patients for a couple minutes like oh hey yep you're you have an ACL tear okay cool well you know I'll cut into you in a couple weeks um, and then the surgeries which were cool to do at first you know I was sitting there watching them it just really added, it was really slow monotonous, right? It's almost mechanical in nature. And if that's your thing, fantastic. But for me, it just was a grind, you know, seven ACLs in, you know, five knee replacements in. It's like, okay, this is the same thing over and over again. In one day? Uh, so yeah, like if, in one day, we, I saw Ooh. seven ACLs that one time. Um, but like I said, I had a whole, whole semester of this. So by the end of the semester, I was like, I don't want to see another surgery for a while. Um, and then unfortunately I actually tore my ACL my junior year playing uh, lacrosse. And, uh, at that point I was still like thinking orthopedic surgery, but then I actually went through physical therapy myself to recover from that ACL tear. And I thought, man, this is really cool. You know, they're the one-on-ones you get with patients, you know, the combining of two of my passions, which are, uh, medicine as well as sports into one thing. It was just a match made in heaven for me. Uh, and so that's why I split gears, decided to go into physical therapy, but 
I had a very non-traditional route, honestly, to get into a PT program and to get to where I'm at at this point. Um, I ended up first because I was a liberal arts school. I didn't have anatomy. I didn't have physiology. We learned those things in a bio class in you know, all these other classes. But with PT cast, how it is, right? You need to literally put, this is the course you need and fill that. So uh, in that process, it took me a little while to actually get those courses lined up. I want them to. And in addition to that, you know, I had a couple of classes that didn't go that well. <laughs> I had a, um, what was it? Philosophy and film. I got a D in philosophy and film because my science brain, I, for the final, I cited all my sources. Apparently you weren't supposed to do that. Apparently in the syllabus it said it was supposed to be totally off the cuff, no citing of any sources. And so I actually got an F on that paper and there were only two papers. There was a midterm and a final. So my A and my F <laughs> led to me evening out to failing that course, which you know, that's going to lower your overall GPA. That's not going to, that's going to make you look a little harder. And that's, and of course, you know, when you're looking at PT schools, how competitive it's gotten over years, you know, it's just a, it's a math equation. Oh, you don't have this GRE, you don't have this GPA, you get pushed to the side. And so then at that point, I decided, well, how am I going to fix this? And I actually decided to go into a master's program in uh, kinesiology at University of Illinois. Uh, did a thesis there for about two years, did research, TAing, all that fun stuff, rate, you know, getting A's and everything in those, raising my GPA, and then finishing that anatomy, physiology, some of those prereqs that I just didn't have originally uh, on the docket. And after that was done, applied to PT school and got in from there. I love it. I love it. So, I mean, this is the question. I'm, I, I try to think from the pre-PT's mind when, <clears throat> when others are talking, and I know there's a bunch of pre-PT's out there like, oh, shoot, he went to a master's degree. Should I do that too? Now, it might have been a different time back then, um, but now, what if they're thinking that, what do you recommend now? Do you recommend them going to a master's program or are prereqs just fine? What's your take on that? Honestly, it depends on the person individually. It really, really does. Um, you could absolutely get away with doing that just by taking courses, maybe if you're working on the side and then you're just taking some of those courses at a community college or something like that. Um, for me personally, I just also, I just felt I wanted to really use what I'm really good at, which actually was research and I am actually and teaching and, and things like that. So I was able to do the RA research assistant and TA get paid for that and actually paid for my school entirely. I didn't have to pay for my master's program. And that way um, I was getting a stipend of almost six grand, you know, every single month for that, which was fantastic. So that paid for all that, all that stuff. And then when I went into my interviews, I was able to say, hey, I was in charge of a thesis program. I created this from scratch. I contributed here. And actually, I'm now published in you know, two, different art, two different journals because of that. And it was a good route to go. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't also, like I said, go to community college, knock out some of those prereqs, raise your GPA that way, and then have real life experience. Like if you're a tech, that, I mean, they're going to love that too, as long as you're working at a place that they allow techs to learn and they allow techs to, you know, really build on their skills, then there's no route problem with that route either. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Basically, what you're saying is if you can extract value from a master's program and it can benefit mm -hmm. one, you, two, your application, and three, the PT schools, and you can see that, shoot, go for it and be like, Dr. Wesson, hey, use that for. Hey, money for yourself and to look better on your applications and to bring value to that master's program and the PT school, then yeah, go for it. But sometimes I do hear kind of like what you were alluding to, like, oh, I should just go because it maybe might make me look better, probably. And I don't, I mean, hey, hey, it could, but what we've seen, hey, 
it could also not and you can also um it can also be a detriment to you but if you have something like dr west man definitely go for it so i had to harp on that had to make sure i got your take because i know i know that i know they were thinking that but um now or before i fast forward um how did you get through um kind of the struggle as a pre-pt of like dang i have to go to another two years of school or i have to retake this class like how did you get through that part I'm not gonna lie, you know, it was definitely a, a kick in the ego and in the gut, you could say, because, you know, in high school, I was always the kid that never had to study, I just showed up and things went well, even for the most part through college. And so as I, but there was just a couple of those things, like I said, that whittled away that made me not look as great. So with that, it was really, you know, at, for, for a better lack of a better phrase, putting on my big boy pants and realizing, okay, to truly ex- get excel to truly, I need to, to change my thought process. So it's not a loss that I had to go a different route, a non-traditional route. If anything, I looked at it as, okay, this is a way that my story is different. So my story is different than that person who went right into, you know, right from PT, sorry, undergrad into PT school, or maybe the, even the ones where, you know, you're going to feed from your freshman and you're going to feed right into a PT program. Those are great. You know, and honestly, if I could, I probably might rewind because I didn't know I was going to PT until later. But if I could, I might go back in time and say, okay, let me do one of those programs that I could feed right into it. But now when I'm doing my interviews for PT school, I'm able to say, okay, this is why I'm better. I've already had a struggle. I've overcome adversity. I've learned from it and it won't happen again, you know, versus a lot of people who they don't struggle until PT school. And then I saw so many people drop out because they weren't ready for that adversity. And that was the first time they came up against it and they weren't ready to flip, flip gears on themselves. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point because sometimes I hear, um, specifically non-traditional students and, you know, I guess traditional students as well who kind of just go through it and they always kind of compare against each other. Like the non-traditionals are like, man, if I was only a traditional, it would be so much easier when they don't realize that what you just said is facts for however you are as a non-traditional student, whether you have kids or you are EMT before, you were in finance or whatever that is, like you can use that, like you can use that as a strength. Like it's a strength for you. So view it as that. But if you're a traditional student as well, and you're like, oh man, if I was only a non-traditional student, this would be so much better than that. Like, no, like use what you have, like play with the cards you've been dealt. So that was just, a, that was an amazing point because I, we see that all the time. Yeah. Um, um, but now fast forwarding to uh, when you are in PT school and when you are a, a new grad and things like that, um, where did you go from there? Did you, did you travel? Did you get an outpatient do- job? Did you start your own clinic? How did you maneuver that um, after PT school? Yeah. So uh, after PT school, I actually took a job with the place I had my first internship with um, at the time, at least. So I went to University of St. Augustine down in St. Augustine, Florida, heavy manual therapy program. Um, and there you would do it's six, uh, seven weeks inpatient, and then you do eight weeks, eight weeks, two different outpatients. That's changed now because just the requirements, it's maybe extended it a bit more. So now they're doing more 12-week programs. But so I ended up taking a job from that first internship. The reason I took that job was because it kind of rocks my world mentally in terms of a different way to look at it. Um, University in Augustine, again, manual therapy, it's uh, done by Dr. Paris. And it's a combination of a lot of different things in terms of like Syriacs and all these, these nucleus of um, manual therapists. So I, you know, grade three oscillations and stretching and all this stuff. But then I went to my first internship and they use more of a thought process as Institute of Physical Art. 
which is through Boston, Boston College is an example of a place that does that. Uh, and it's such a different way to look at it. It's like posture first, core activation. Um, yes, they do manual stuff, but they do it very differently. For example, it's not just, okay, I'm gonna stretch your hamstring. It's I'm going to do a sustained pressure to specifically this tendon layer by the biceps femoris while I'm gonna have you do knee flexion extension or functional movement pattern, which helps that release. So for me, having that more tools in my toolbox was so important. I felt that it was great for me to go to a place that I could keep learning, add more tools to my toolbox because this, I still wasn't, even though I had eight weeks there, I didn't learn everything uh, versus going and starting my own place and, you know, stopping learning except for CEUs or even going to a place that might have um, even less mentorship there. Cause for me, mentorship was huge to have someone that could keep teaching me uh, versus just being thrown in and be like, all right, this is your schedule and that's all you're going to have. Um, or a place that's really going to tell you, this is how you should practice and that's all you should ever do and putting you in a box. So I luckily that was a place that let me get outside that box and uh, have tons and tons of different skills with it. And that's been great because I've had so many people come in where one methodology that I taught learned in school works better. So I do that one versus I have someone else come in. That one doesn't really work for them. This other methodology works a lot better. And so sticking to just the one path didn't really work for me. Being able to branch out was much more important for me. And I actually ended up leaving that place uh, back in August of last year. So it's been about a year now. Um, it was a whole thing. There was a buyout. <laughs> and things when they say things aren't going to change, and they always do. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, the biggest issues being lack of PT autonomy, uh, decrease in patient care, and switching us, a physical therapist, from salary to hourly, and then changing what they considered part of a PT's uh, duties. So that basically, if you were doing notes, you were no longer being compensated for doing notes. It, like if you had to do notes for an hour after work. So that's a little weird once you're in that salary hourly thing. So ended up moving to team rehabilitation where I'm currently at. And I was fortunate that I was able to continue that process of mentorship with my current clinic manager and boss, teaching me a lot of stuff, and also being able to form my own things. So form my own athletic programs, form my own screening processes, uh, form my own ACL recovery programs. And there's a lot of support from the higher ups with that, which is fantastic. Yeah, let's get into that. How does that work? Um, because, of course, a lot of people are interested in, for, uh, in sports and doing their own uh, thing, maybe working with a team or working with athletes, um, maybe within a clinic as well. So how does, how does that work? How did you come up with that plan? How did you come up with that, um, that service that you, that you did? Yeah, so my original thought process was, okay, let me do a sports residency, and that would get me there. Uh, sports residencies are extremely competitive, obviously even more so than getting into PT school originally. You'll look at some of them, they have a seats of for two people for any, uh, any given cohort. And so at the point in time, and a lot of them also required you to be either be an ATC or to have about five other things that they consider would override the lack of being an ATC. Because again, I, was, I came from obviously like a neuroscience background and, and kinesiology, so I didn't have that. Uh, so I decided that, okay, well, first, let me just go back into the field and, and, and do some work there. So after that, it's really about who you know more than anything and putting your nose to the grindstone in marketing. Um, because at that point, you know, it was a funny story. I was in my final term at PT school, professor was at the front. There was about 40 people in my cohort. And he asked, okay, how many people want to work with athletes? 38 of the 40 hands went up. It, everyone wants to, because most of the people that go into PT did something physical. They want to continue working with that. But at the end of the day, most people that need PT are the 40 to 80 year old person who just has, they just, they guard, they quote unquote, just garden or something like that. 
So for me, it was the biggest understanding of, hey, if that's still going to be the bulk of what you work with, at least at the beginning, building through there, and then going through a demo's different path. So yes, you're only working with the gardening six-year-old woman, but knowing that, hey, she's got a son that has three kids that all play baseball. And so if you treat her really, really well, then the son's going to also come in probably for his issue. You treat him really, really well. Those three kids who play baseball are going to come in. Then all of a sudden their friends or the parents of other kids on their travel baseball team are like, how did you get better so quickly from that elbow issue? Oh, I saw Mason over at team rehab. And then all of a sudden it snowballs. And now those coaches on the travel teams, the athletic directors of local high schools, all things like that, they want to get in on it because they want they don't want to lose control of their players either they want to create partnerships and so from there now all of a sudden you get the snowball effect of okay who do we send our baseball players to they go to mason who do we send our golfers to in our case jeremy smith the owner of the clinic and manager they go to him because he golfed in college and he knows way more than i do about it he's helping me with my golf game right now because it's horrendous um but Again, it's just connections and making relationships because when you, if you don't have those background credentials of a sports residency, maybe you don't have your CSCS, maybe you don't have your SCS, things like that, you need to build relationships. So you're saying, wait, I can still work with athletes or some form of athletes if I, shoot, I didn't have my ACT, uh, ATC before. PT school. I'm already applying, but I want to work with athletes. Crap. Am I screwed? Should I not do PT? Like you're saying like, oh, there's still hope that I can work with athletes down the line, even if I'm not uh, have a CSCS, ATC, or in sports residence. Hey, after, right before we, I hopped on this call, I was working with a defensive lineman who's committed to go to Iowa next year. Woo! Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Because again, I was trying to think from my pre-BT mind, like my heart just sank. Like, Oh, shoot. Sports residency. I don't want to do that. What does that even mean? I don't even know what that is. Oh, man, I don't have my CSCS. What does that mean? But you guys can create whatever you want within this profession. So remember that if you want to work with sports athletes, you, you can. But you have to be willing to put in that work. You have to be willing to network, just like you're doing now as pre-PTs putting in that work to research schools and finish your application and all this and blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing if you want to do what you want to do uh, in PT. So I just, I had to nail that because I felt it. I felt y'all like, oh, I can't do it. But yes, yes, you can. Um, uh, but now segueing um, into like how um, you reached out to us, like how, how has that been um, as a person of color in the profession? Because basically a little background story, um, how Mason reached out to us when the racial tensions were at its highest um, at the time of this recording is uh, a month or so after George Floyd. Um, how has that been for you um, going through, whether it's pre-PT, PT school, whether it's now um, working in the clinic, um, because you were getting tagged in our posts when we were posting about uh, racial tensions and stuff. I was like, dang, all right, this, this guy is the man. So um, um, for any other um, uh, pre-PTs or PT students listening to this of color, like, What's your kind of story within that realm uh, to give them some perspective as well? So I grew up in Northbrook, Illinois, which is probably one of the whitest, most Jewish suburbs you could possibly come across. Um, and my friend 
I remember in high school, uh, freshman year, my friend Bobby Dean, who was the only other uh, black student at that point in time in, in the school with me, we did, we jokingly like did the math like of the school, how much do we represent? We were 0.01% of our high school. Wow. Um, and the thing that's both, that's good and bad about that is that we were really the only black individuals that our white compatriots had an opportunity to interact with. Now, the good part for that for me was that I almost learned, you almost learn how to talk to someone who may not feel comfortable talking to you. Um, almost like you can be a chameleon and go from one state to another. Now, it's a shame that you almost, you have to do that. But at the same time, you know, at this point in time, it's a little necessary. And I was able to, I feel like to use that a little bit, have conversations. And the, the joke always was when I, was when I would talk to my, uh, my mother about this, who, who was actually white because I'm half and half, I'm half white, half black, um, was that I was the safe option when, when it came to being a black individual. Because, you know, I answer a phone call and you would have no idea. I, I sound very, like I sound like I might be white. And so... Uh, when it came to getting into college, again, it was high grades, came from Northbrook, Illinois. It was that quote unquote safe route for some of those individuals, uh, the schools to be able to pull me on, plus some of the athletics I did. I did wrestling like in across, lacrosse in college. And then when you're going in them going into interviews, same thing, just come making sure they're coming across as as an intelligent person coming across as I know what I'm talking about and having that confidence. Because at the end of the day, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, we tend to gravitate towards people that we are comfortable with. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's unknown. Like I said, it's that subconscious. And so if someone's doing an interview with you, whether you're talking about PT school, whether you're talking about a job, um, finding those unsaid commonalities between you is very important. And that's a very, and that's a skill when it comes to interviewing. Because a lot of times the interviewer will have things around their room, uh, things you know in their office, or they'll mention something, and you being able to latch onto that and create that connection, saying, "Okay, I, you know, that hey, we can have conversations together." Because especially when you're working in a clinic, right, you're working with these people all day, every day, and you need to be comfortable with that. So the part that can be a little complicated is when now you're talking about getting patients. Um, I know I always felt the first time I'd walk into an office. I'm in the Barrington, Illinois area right now. And that's a very, again, it's also a very white area in Illinois. And so walking into uh, MD's office, you walk in, the patients are on their waiting are white, the receptionists are white, there might be one black nurse that's in the back, and then all five doctors are white. Um, I felt for the longest time, and still do at times, that I would spend the first 10 minutes proving I deserve to be there as a black individual. Then I would spend the next five minutes proving that as a physical therapist, I deserve your time because there are still some MDs that don't necessarily know what a physical therapist does, which is always crazy. And then after all that, now it's like, okay, now I have your attention. Now let's show how I can really treat your patients and how I can, and I can help you and using some of those objective things. So, uh, pay, you know, patient testimonials is huge. We use something called photo, which compares people with like, so if you have a shoulder pain compares you to thousands and millions of other people with shoulder pain and saying, Hey, look, I get these people with shoulder pain this much better compared to my competitors and saying, okay, that's why you need to send me your patients because of those objective issues. Nothing else comes into play. As long as your patient gets better, you look good as a doctor. So that, and that's not that that's a, a big thing that I found when I've been trying to break that kind of barrier or that communication issue. Um, and then lastly, creating communication there too. Um, over the last month or so, I've really started to increase my presence in the community with those things. Um, right now, we're in the process of trying to create a, uh, a diversity committee in the, in the um, 
company and also creating diversity committee within even just the town uh, medical one nurses let's get some chiropractors let's get some physical therapists and try to get ones of from various backgrounds so coming together and saying okay well how can we make the medical profession better in terms of diversity and supporting each other i love it i love it i love it have you had any um uh, patient stories that have gone either one on one end of the spectrum better than expected and on the other end like whoa like i don't even know what to do i don't know what to say uh so for black people uh listening to this or watching this like if they come up against something like that um more so on the bad end of the spectrum they know what to do especially if their observation hours they're like uh, uh what what just happened have you do you have any stories like that unfortunately yes <laughs> um literally just about three weeks ago um mm. I had a patient was working with, and she just started making some comments that were not even directed at me, but they were directed at um, a couple individuals uh, in the in the area who had who were doing some protests, right? And it was just saying some negative things about that. Um, there was a teacher at a local high school who made negative comments, and she was dismissed for those comments. And then this patient was defending her, saying that she should be able to say whatever she wants. That um, you know, and basically decreasing the thought process of the Black Lives Matter movement and what it's really standing for. Now, at the time, first thing I did was just try to change the subject, right? Just like, oh, like it's raining out there. And yeah, I got a game night coming up this week. Hopefully we can do something with that. And usually if that works, we'll move on. Because at the end of the day, I want to get patients better. I don't care what you stand for, what you don't stand for. I want to try to get you better. Now, she decided after we talked about the weather for about two minutes to jump right back into it and talk, keep talking about it. And then in that scenario, then I was more direct, like, okay, look, this conversation is making me uncomfortable. I don't know if you've noticed, but I am a person of color and I'm not necessarily agreeing with what you're saying. Again, let's focus on your treatment. She stopped it for that day, but then the next time I treated her, she went right back into it again. And then at that point, I actually talked to my clinic manager and the clinic manager said, you know what? It's not, it's not okay for you to be comfortable. And by the way, my clinic manager is a very, very white guy from Southern Illinois, you know, and so he's the epitome of, of the opposite of where I'm at with this. And he fired the patient. He said, you know, at this point, that's not appropriate for you to be saying and doing those things. Um, if, if you can change your tune, I mean, you don't have to exactly believe in this stuff, but you can't talk about it in the clinic, come back. But for now you, you get a month timeout basically, where you can't come back for a little while. Um, that's a little different, of course, because that's me as a physical therapist and having a degree of maybe power, as you can say. If you're on an observation, um, I've had that happen as well, where I had a patient who um, said, I was in the area cleaning up, you know, just doing some of my observation hours, helping out. And the patient said, you know, I'm not really comfortable being around him, around that individual. So that one, there's not as much I can do about it. Obviously, I talked to the clinic manager at the point in time where it was at and He's like, you know what? Okay, well, can you not just be maybe go in the back while this patient is, is here and then come back out afterwards? At the time, didn't think much of it. And I did it because I need to get my observation hours. But that might nowadays, if I could redo it, I wouldn't have continued my observation hours there. I would have gone elsewhere because I want to learn from people who treat everyone with respect and understand that, yes, patients certainly come first, but that doesn't necessarily also mean that their rights overdo my own rights as an individual. And so you do have to long-term be able to stand up for yourself and know when a situation may not behoove you to continue there at that point in time. Yeah, that's a, that's a strong point. That's a strong point because even if 
now we extract that and put it in the guise of um, PT schools and applying there, that could happen or that could be um, something that happens with a PT school that you're applying to or that you've seen them interact some way on social media or you went to a campus visit and you didn't like it. Like it's, it's hard to do at the moment, but what if, what if you see something you don't like, but you want to go to that school and you're like, man, like, hey, I need to get my PT degree so I can get a job and I can go out and I can get married and this and that, but something doesn't feel right. And that was a good point because I think that, and I've, I've been talking about this more recently, that pre-PTs need to value themselves more because they are the customers of the school. Just like you were, you, you didn't have to do your observation hours there. You can go anywhere else. There's plenty of other schools out there. So that was powerful to hear because now maybe a pre-PT out there would be like, hey, wait, I, I am valuable enough to either not get this observation hour here or go somewhere else, or I don't have to spend my money with that school if I don't like that. But that was, that was huge because sometimes we see ourselves as so low in these schools as such big institutions, which of course we have to respect, but we don't have to belittle ourselves either just to go to that school, to get a degree, to get a job, to get this and that. So I, I had to make sure um, uh, that they heard something like that, that, that they now know that they can do that, that they have the power uh, to do that as well. So, so that was huge, that was huge. Um, but now kind of like what, with what you're doing now um, and now kind of projecting and predicting what's gonna, um, or what the future may hold for physical therapy in the future, specifically for pre-PTs who won't be PTs until three years from now, five years. Um, what do you, what are you looking forward to uh, in the profession as a whole? Um, because of course there's problems, there's problems in every profession. Um, but of course, pre-PTs are getting in PT to be physical therapists and live out their dream of being PTs. But sometimes they see or hear of every problem, whether it's student debt, or diversity or something and something and they lose sight or maybe it's PT cast and the essay and they're just getting bogged down by the GRE and they lose sight of why they wanted to be in PT anyway. So for you, even as a PT now, um, what are you looking forward to, whether in your own career or uh, just the profession as a whole? I think at the end of the day, it boils down to one, what, what are you passionate about? So I would be doing physical therapy if I had to do it for free. You know, if, if I, if I wasn't getting paid for it and, you know, there was, I had to work some other job to make ends meet, I would still be trying to do physical therapy in my free time, which I do. I'll come in, you know, I'll go to various uh, athletic organizations and such and just do free screens. You know, I'll do free um, work for, on individuals that can't afford it if I can, doing some pro bono work. So if you're passionate about it, you commit to doing it. I would not, I mean, with the amount of debt that I have, which there's still debt there, um, I don't really have much for my undergrad and I don't really have, and I have nothing for my master's program. All of it, because I went to a more expensive PT school, is still there and I'm going to be paying it off probably till the day I die. <laughs> uh, but that's okay for me because it allow, it's allowing me to do what I love to do. And then when it comes to, for example, like how COVID's affected stuff, yes, our numbers were down initially because people weren't going out. But at the end of the day, people are, are always going to need physical therapists or, or occupational therapists for that matter, because people are going to continue to try to be active, you know, and even if it means wearing a mask in the clinic and we at team rehab, we have a long strong program, which is specifically for people who had COVID at one point are now trying to recover for it from it. So that kind of a program, you know, again, that can affect someone 
there are NBA players, right, that had COVID. So they're going to have to re recover from that. Their VO2 maxes are not where they should be. And you need people that can measure it and progress them in a safe but progressive manner that can get them back to doing what they need to do. Same thing even if you're talking about your 70-year-old person. So there's always going to be a need for physical therapists from that matter, thought process. Now, I mean, there are problems in the profession, whether you're talking about reimbursement from insurances, whether you're talking about diversity, like we just talked about. But if you have a problem with it, get into it so you can fix it yourself. That's one of the things I've started to realize now over uh, the last month, especially, is that I am now in a position where hopefully I can start to instill change. I'm starting at first with my company and then hopefully from there, go from the company to the Barrington area where I'm at, maybe being able to extend that into the city of Chicago if I can and go from there. If at the end of the day, you're not necessarily going to put in that work, that's fine. There are going to be people that do it. But if you truly care and you're truly passionate about it, you can only, only make that change from the inside. So by pushing through and trying to progress and getting to a point where you can make that change, I mean, that's, that's really the main drive for me, at least. So you're saying don't run from those problems. Fight back. Do a little, that on. yeah, duck and jive and throw back, throw, yeah, I, I'm with that. I'm with that because I think uh, as pre-PTs, like we just see the problem and we think it's just too big. And it might seem like that for now. But it's like, okay, you say you love PT, you love this profession, you want to get into it. No profession is perfect anyway. So do you want to make PT better for yourself and your patients? Or do you just want to go to another profession, which is fine, uh, and just meet new problems or the same problems there? So that was, that was powerful. That was powerful. Don't, don't necessarily run from the problems. You're bigger than the problems. Fight back. Fight back. Um, but now, again, I was listening from the pre-PT's point of view, and you said St. Augustine, and there might be some people interested in going there. What did you um, like most about St. Augustine, and why did you pick that school? I picked that school uh, for two main reasons. One, it had a manual therapy emphasis. Um, two, not only did it have the manual therapy emphasis, it has the option that in your final term, you can take a bunch of courses that are essentially along what's called the MTC track or a manual therapy certification track. And then you can, you basically have to leave, I think it's for at least six months and then go back and you can get certified as a man, get your manual therapy certification. Uh, the thing that's cool about that is that's just a part of what you're paying for school. So there are people that are paying for those CEUs and you get it essentially, I mean, you're paying for school obviously, but you get it essentially for free as a part of what you're learning. Um, I would say that those courses that I took, I use more than almost anything else I use. Um, it's, it's usually, it's those courses, some of the stuff I learned in that, like I said, Institute of Physical Art thought process, and then this CEU, I took a dry, the dry needling certification I got. Those three things I use every single day, and that's what really makes people get, get better. Um, the thing with St. Augustine, too, is that it's a little bit of an accelerated course, so I got out in two and a half years instead of the three, um, and that was with internships and everything like that, so I was in the field sooner, which was important for me because I was already you could say two years behind, I guess, because of the master's program, but I mean, you're never really behind in all reality. Um, and I like, and then being able to, they had multiple campuses. So you could apply to, uh, they had St. Augustine, Miami is newer, uh, one in Texas and one in California. So you essentially can apply to all of those ones. And then if they say, then they say, okay, well you got into this one, you could just take that one, which was cool. Cause it was like one thing I could submit to four separate ones instead of having to just submit to four separate ones. Um, right now there is a big debate in the physical therapy community about how effective manual therapy is versus is it really just the, is it just preparing you for exercise more or less? I would rather have the knowledge and how to do that manual therapy 
and then be able to add the exercise aspect to it than if I believe someone that says, well, manual therapy is not effect that effective, it's really the exercise, but I don't have the option to do the manual therapy because I never really learned it. Um, and there are some of those people, I mean, I see a lot of chronic pain individuals. So if they walked in, someone who's had neck pain for eight years, and I'm like, all right, let's just get into our scapular stability and all that. They're, they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> they, they don't want to do that. Let me, let me get you ready. Let me get some length into that trap, right? Let me, you know, get some of that scapula set a little bit better. Now let's do that strengthening and there's a lot more buy-in there. So that manual therapy for me was, was huge. Yeah, yeah, I get, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, my, the clinic director at where I work uh, is kind of like that. Um, heavy exercise, tough guy. He's great. Patients get better. Um, and sometimes I see that look from patients on their first or second day and I'm like, Oh man, poor thing, <laughs> poor thing you can get through it. Um, so yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but for the last question, um, if you knew that a younger Mason was listening, uh, mixed kid from Northbrook, or maybe they're in the equivalent of Northbrook in Washington State or upstate New York or California, Utah, uh, and they were listening to this interested in PT, shadowed some neurosurgeons or pharmacists or whatever, um, what would you, everything you know now, with everything you know now, where you are now, going through all your experiences, uh, what would you say to that younger pre-PT um, or pre-master's program uh, Mason who is going to be like you in the future? Basically that you are destined to do some really cool things that if, you know, it's still early on, but I can tell you that if you keep your nose to the grindstone and keep, and keep working at it, you can make some really big changes. And it's not gonna just be changes on a daily basis with your patients, but potentially changes for the physical therapy profession, uh, changes for, for some of the athletes and, and the, any of the other individuals in that area. And then, you know, potentially some big changes on some younger individuals too, who ultimately want to also go into that profession. So keep going because it's not just about you and where you're going, but about potentially laying that path down so that others can follow behind you. Because at the end of the day, I mean, that's the biggest thing, creating a path so that other people don't have to struggle quite as much to get to where you're at. Spot on, spot on. And um, where can people find you or reach out to you um, if they like to? Yeah, uh, probably the easiest way you could reach out to me uh, on my Instagram. It's dr.masonwest underscore sports PT. Um, you could also, if you want to, I don't care, shoot me a text. If you really have a concern or a problem, you can reach me there. 847-345-2626. I'm always willing to have a conversation with someone who's having a problem and give some guidance if you really want it. That's what's up. That's what's up. Thank you again, Dr. Mason West. Um, I know pre-PTs uh, are going to get a lot, a lot of great gems and value from this. And, uh, Hey, you might even get some reaching out to you on your number or Instagram. So, um, um, be prepared for that. Um, but yeah, we appreciate it. And thanks guys for listening. Uh, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. What is up guys? You've been listening to the pre-PT grind podcast where we don't just help you get into PT school, but our mission is to make you the best physical therapist you can possibly be. And I have a quick question for you. Did you enjoy this episode? And if you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread our message of helping pre-PTs get into physical therapy school without wasting time and money is if you rate, review, and subscribe to the Pre-PT Grind Podcast. What this basically does 
is tell the platforms out there that we're on is that you like our stuff, that we're doing something right, and that we're bringing value to you all, our audience. So if you could take about three seconds out of your day to rate, review, and subscribe to the Pre-PT Grind podcast and tell your friends about Pre-PT Grind, we would be forever, forever grateful to all of you. So thank you again for listening to another episode of the Pre-PT Grind podcast. We will see you on the next one.